Luke chapter 18, 15 through 17. The word of the Lord reads like this. Now, the, the scripture reads like this. Now, they were bringing infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. And here's where we started. Truly I say to you, and underline this if you can. If you're an underliner, this is so important. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now, as I read uh, this story, I realized that the disciples come off like a, some jerks. Amen? <laughs> but then <laughs> I was, forgive me, okay? I'm going to go there, all right? <laughs> then I was kind of reminded, uh, do you remember that um, one old school deacon back in the day who always forgot it was church and not a club? Um, so he assumed, like, greeting meant bouncing. Okay, maybe you don't. Maybe it's just me. Have you ever, I don't want to put down, but have you ever walked into a place that was a church and you weren't quite sure if they were welcoming you or if they were, like, there to, like, maybe frisk you before you got in the door? You know, a little angry, no smiles. In fact, the only time maybe they ever talked was when you needed to remove your hat and stop chewing gum. Oh, yeah. You know, way, way back in the day, they used to measure your skirts, ladies. That wouldn't happen today, right? We'd go home, we'd write a review on Google, and it'd be shut down. He would measure. Um, when you walk in and they go like this to you, what did that mean? Gum. Some of you know. Some of you are like, I have no clue. I love Inspired Church, right? Um, and there were, there were reasons behind it, right? There were reasons. We, we celebrate reverence, right? We got new carpet. Some of y'all be sticking your gum under. You know what I'm saying? So, like, there were, there were reasons. Some of you need Jesus in that area. But could you imagine how out of pocket it would have been if Miguel and Serena got up with their children and were bringing their boys up and kind of some of the leaders got up and just yelled at them and forbid them to come because Philip is too busy for them? Um, mo most of us in this room would probably be outraged, and we'd probably never come back to this church again. But can you try and think about it for a moment through the eyes of the disciples? Uh, let me explain to you what's going on. Jesus was the Messiah. To them, he was the king of the universe. He was the king of Israel. Um, and for them, he was a king on a mission to establish his kingdom. And in that moment, babies and children, as cute as they were, were not so important to what they were trying to accomplish. Think about it. Children, they're not physically strong, so they really couldn't serve, right, at Inspired Church. Like, children aren't real strong, so they can't really lift and move things, so they wouldn't really serve the mission in that regard. They're not really mentally, well, some of them in here were amazing, but their, their mental capacities are not fully developed, and so they couldn't really add to maybe the strategic plan or organization uh, of the mission. And so they're not very strong, they're mentally not developed, and they certainly didn't have any skills or uh, resources 
resources or money, right, to contribute to the mission. So to the disciples, children at this point really had nothing of value to offer them or Jesus. They just kind of took up too much space, too much time. So the disciples felt it was within their best interest to hinder the kids' ministry of Christ and rebuke the parents for bringing uh, the children to Jesus. I'm going to switch to the handheld. And so I just want to kind of pause for a moment as I told you a little bit about this story. And I I just have some thoughts uh, that I've been thinking through uh, regarding Inspired Church that uh, I want to share with you today. Can I be honest for a moment? Amen. Um, May we, Inspired Church in Union City, never become a church that neglects our children. I'm so challenged as a senior pastor by this text because sometimes we may not say what the disciples said, but our actions tell a different story. And again, this is not going to be a normal sermon, so bear with me if you came to hear a normal Sunday morning message. But please uh, just hear the heart of this message. You know, I've been told you can tell what a church values the most. Not based on what they say, not based on what they post on their website, but take a look at their calendar and their budget. What gets the most of their time and the most of their money, no matter what they preach, no matter what they teach, no matter what they put on their core values and their website, you look at the budget, you look at the calendar, and you can tell what that church values The most, are you with me? Now, I'm challenging myself right now. I'm challenging Inspire Church. I'm going out on a limb. But uh, as I look at our church, I ask myself, what does our calendar and what does our budget say about what we really feel about the children's ministry next door? Are we bringing children closer to Christ or are we treating them as nuisance that need to be babysit for an hour and a half so mom and dad could hear the word? Are we even, hear me out, are we even honoring and blessing those in the community that God has called to love your children right now while you're in here today? When's the last time you went to one of them and said, hey, thank you. And I'm not, look. I'm not getting on you, but I just want to make us aware of what's going on. Because we may not say what the disciples said, but sometimes our actions could accidentally portray that. Are you with me? I mean, think about it. Every Sunday we have a staff, and they're understaffed right now. Last week we had 37 kids. Uh, This morning we asked prayer. The kids' ministry is growing, and we're celebrating it. But at the same time, we don't have enough staff. And we asked for prayer. Uh, Every Sunday, last Sunday, 37 kids, men and women are serving children behind the scenes for the glory of God. We we launched two years ago in September, a year and a half ago in September, and there were so many people so excited to be a part of this launch. But yet there was a group that couldn't see it. You want to know why? They were there. We had a Christmas Eve service, and everyone was excited to celebrate Christmas, but there was a group that couldn't see it. You want to know why? They're in there. And this isn't a guilt trip. This is just so we can understand the, 
the beauty of what God is doing in this church and through some of these ministries here today. And again, I am challenged by this particular portion of scripture. And you know, we had 37 kids, but that's just the beginning, guys. <clears throat> we need to get ready. God is bringing in families, amen? God's bringing young families. We had a beautiful young family here today. Three boys, right? God is bringing in families. And if we're hindering the children from knowing Christ, we're no better than the disciples in this story. So when Jesus saw that his disciples were hindering the children, he took that as an opportunity to create a teachable moment. A teachable moment. He took that as an opportunity. Can I tell you, discipleship is built on teachable moments. You know, I want to tell you, discipleship is not just taught. In fact, it's caught. And what I mean by that is coming on Sunday mornings will teach you the, the word of God, but it won't really direct you in discipleship because you can get taught, but you have to catch it. And how do you catch something? You have to be with somebody who's been through something. You have to be with a mature believer in Christ and watch how they handle situations and circumstances in your life, in their lives. Discipleship is more caught than it is taught. Now, it is taught, but it really is caught. Some of you, I always, I had, a, we had a leadership meeting last Sunday, and I asked this question. Name the five sermons that changed your life. Name them. I want the title, and I also want to know uh, where the scripture was at. What reference was it? And you can't use last week's message, right? You're all Luke 18, the children, right? Name five sermons that changed your life. The reality is if I gave you five minutes or 20 minutes to write down the title of that message and also the passage, some of you might be able to get one or two or three. But for the most part, that made me feel terrible. <laughs> I'm like, man, what am I doing spending all this time preaching, right? Sometimes you feel like maybe Christianity in America is upside down. Y'all with me? Smile at me so you don't feel, I want to make sure you're good with me, right? Like we spend all our hours trying to get a Sunday morning together when Sunday morning is a small portion of your Christianity, right? And so what do we do? We create a membership that comes on Sunday, and it's basically Christianity is like a movie, right? I just come in, I get my popcorn or my donuts, sit down, make me laugh, pastor, make me cry, make me feel better, and then I leave, and we really get Christianity upside down. It's no wonder why the world doesn't want no part of the church, because on Sunday is when we go to church, but the rest of the week, we're not disciples, and so teachable moments are important, but you can't get a teachable moment unless you're walking with somebody and something happens in their life. Say, so look, I'm going to show you something that's taking place right now. I'm going to teach you something about me, Jesus, in this moment. And so the disciples are rebuking the children, and Jesus says, ah, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to teach them something. Amen? Now, this is what Jesus basically told them. You think children have nothing to offer you, but in fact, they have everything to offer you. You think children can't teach you a thing, can't give you a thing. You think that they're not important to my mission, but in fact, you need to pay attention because they have so much to give to you, parents. And you know this if you're a parent. Your child has taught you so much about yourself. As they laugh and play. Now, this may be odd, but can you pay close attention to this statement? Adults don't get through to God. It's only when adults learn to value and develop childlike faith that they actually begin to grow in faith. Now, I want to let you know, adults, you do get through. 
But you need to learn to develop and value childlike faith as an adult in order to get through. Amen. Here's kind of a paradox. Spiritual maturity equals childlike faith. Spiritual maturity equals childlike faith. Now, not childish faith. Amen. But childlike faith. God's not calling us to be a childish people. He's calling us to be childlike in our faith. And so for the rest of this sermon, here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you four lessons your kids teach you about God's kingdom. Four lessons your kids teach you about God's kingdom. Are you ready for this? Lesson number one, write this down if you're taking notes. Playful imagination. And doesn't it seem like when we reach a certain age, we stop dreaming and start settling? Life has a way of challenging our ability to believe for something better. But for a child, anything is possible. Our children are not bound to the reality that's in front of them. They're not defined by what is, but what could be. They have wild, playful imaginations. My son thinks he's a race car. And he watches Cars 3 40 times a day. And what he does in our apartment's this big. But he, he thinks that thing is a track. And so he goes from one side to the other. It takes me three steps to get one side to the other. And he goes, his little legs start pumping, and he's just running around in circles all day long. And the adult in me is like, stop it already. I'm tired just watching you. But there's a playful imagination that he has that I think sometimes I look and I say, man, where'd that go in my life? Uh, who told me to stop it because I'm too old to do that anymore? And that's just, that's ridiculous. You don't do that anymore. In fact, I've often heard Jamila say, I hope he never loses that. I hope he never loses that. Number two, first is playful imagination. And the second is awe and wonder. Something else I've learned about my son, every morning my son wakes up and he loves to look outside the window of our apartment. And every morning he always has something that makes him say, wow. And, you know, I look like, what did he see? Like, is there something different? <laughs> right? What's, what's out there? Somebody getting beat up? <laughs> you know, get my camera out. And then I realized it can be something cool, like a dump truck, right? That's kind of cool. Some of us were older today. We hear the dump truck. We kind of like, you know. <laughs> or it can be something like an orange towel that somebody draped over on the side of the balcony. One time we were looking, and he's like, wow. And so I do. I, I have him name everything that he sees out there. Tree, grass, car, right? And he kept saying, orange, orange. I'm like, orange. And uh, in fact, when I point, <laughs> this is weird. So sometimes I'll have fun with him. And I'm like, what color? What color? He's like, orange. <laughs> he, thinks dad, he thinks dad is orange. <laughs> but there's a towel that was hanging up on the, like, you know, children, they can see things. We're in Walmart a mile away from any toy, and he sees Lightning McQueen written on, like, the side of some, like, little water bottle. Like, uh, do you know what I'm saying? Like, children. And so he see, and I, I was like, wow, he saw an orange towel. I was like, that's kind of cool, but that's not that impressive, right? 
Um, but I think to myself, man, is either my son's crazy or have I just lost the ability to see the beauty in the world around me? Have I lost the ability to step outside and be in awe of what God is doing? Has life jaded me that much? Is the Bay Area that expensive? Am I working that much overtime? Am I watching that much CNN or Fox News or whatever it is that you, I can't just say one because now it's a political affiliation, right? I, I, are we being bombarded, MSNBC, are we being bombarded with Twitter? Why are we being bombarded with so much stuff that we forgot to step outside and just see the wonder? And so I realized my son's not crazy. I think there's a part of me that has lost the ability to see things as if it was for the first time again. When I think about those first two lessons, I actually think about Disneyland. Are there any Disneyland fans in here? Now, there are some young adults in here that I perpetually get on for being at Disneyland every other week. Some of you know who you are. You know those people at Disneyland all the time? You're like, what are you doing at Disneyland? <laughs> right? Like, grow up. <laughs> I can joke because even if someone is listening on the podcast here, this, they're like, yeah, right. You got to be like childlike faith, bro. Right? <laughs> but can I point something out? Here's what I've realized. The magic kingdom is all about getting people to experience miraculous moments. Jeffrey has worked with Disney for a while, and, he's, and if you've read the book on Disney, they, the culture that they create there is intentional. You know when you drive into Disney, you know you go through L.A. or whatever, it, the, the freeways get really dirty, but you know when you get into Anaheim, everything is clean, right? And, you, and when you, it starts from before the parking lot. I want you to know that it is all intentional, and it's on purpose, and it's designed so that when you step into the realm of Disney, that you feel like you're stepping into another world, right? And, and every individual that works at Disney, they're called, the, they're called cast members. They don't call them employees. They call them cast members because they want their, they want their workers to think like they're always on scene. They're always acting and they're always there to serve and to greet and to provide an opportunity for you to feel like you're stepping into a magical moment. So if you've gone there, you'll see that even the person that's sweeping is definitely there to provide a magical moment for you. Are you guys with me? Now, Disneyland for some adults has become the realize, realization of a better kingdom, guys. If only for a weekend, Disneyland promises us a space to enter back into childlike faith and freedom. For some, Disneyland has become so attractive because it capitalizes on the longing inside of us for Christ and his kingdom. And they don't even know it. But they've capitalized on this longing inside of us to let stress down and to enter into play. And I want you to know that's, that's a God thing. I want you to know that's a God thing. Did you know work before sin, before the fall of man, work was actually Adam and Eve were working the garden. 
A lot of people think, well, because sin came in this world, now we got to work. No. What happened was now that sin came into the world, one of the curses was as you work, you'll sweat and the ground will go- grow thorn and thistle. And as you work, it'll hurt. There'll be pain. Anybody have back pain? You've been working all your life. I know, Brother Ruben, you retired this week. Praise God. Welcome to Disneyland. <laughs> but can I, now you can enter into joyful work. Did you know that work is, what work has become, it's become play that's not joyful. And what, when God created work, it was meant to be, it was, a t- it was type of creating and a play that was to be enjoyed. Right? And the millennials are like, yeah, that's why I don't have a job, Pastor Phil. Preach that one. <laughs> Kidding. I know you're not going to come back. I already know. <laughs> now, last two lessons. Um, these next two lessons are perhaps the most important to a disciple. And I'm going to do something different. I'm going to try to get my son to come up here with me. Come here, son. Come to poppy. Here we can just sit there. Give me my hand. Let's go upstairs together. Ready? One, two, three. Let's go this way. Hold my hand. This is my son. Is his eyes closed? Yes. His eyes were closed today, too, when he walked in. When people say hi to him, he closes his eyes. Two things I I want you to know, okay? I'm going to move this out the way so you guys can see my baby boy. And he's so handsome. Can I tell you one thing? Uh, I'm not a, well, I am, I guess. Real quick story. Uh, Anybody know skin to skin? You're a child, right? Skin to skin is when you take your shirt off after the baby has been born and you allow the child to rest on your skin so they can feel your heartbeat. And we went to like these training classes right before we had the baby. And they said, well, if something in the event there's an emergency or mama can't do skin to skin, father, will you do skin to skin? I said, no, I will not. I will not do skin to skin. I will not take my shirt off and lay my baby boy on my chest, right? Just not happening. And, uh, and um, you know what's really crazy was, uh, you're like, he did skin to skin, did he? I didn't. Um, but the minute my son was born, um, I never, you know, any Latinos in the place? Yeah, you know, we're, right, we're, we're, uh, uh, we're a proud bunch. Right, right, pops? You know, we're very modest. Amen. Uh, we're very modest people, you know. Um, some of you, some different people, you know, you go and you kiss your parents, you'll peck them right on the lips. I used to always be like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> we don't do that. <laughs> That's just not what we do. And I just knew I wasn't going to do that when I had my son. No, some of you are going to look at me crazy right now. I kiss my son on the lips. Yeah, deal with it. I do. And I was that dude that was like, no skin to skin. We don't do that. I don't, but I can't get enough. I eat my, my, my pork. I, I, some of you are going to CPS me. I, I can't get enough of this boy. And some of us are not huggers. I'm not, you know, some of you are like, see, husband, that's what, no, I mean, that's your husband's not that type of person. You can't change him. I was kind of a touchy feely person. I didn't know. But I want, you know, he changed everything in my life, right? And you know that if you've had children. But here's the final two lessons I want to talk to you about. Number one is genuine humility. Uh, We tend to equate 
greatness with position, power, and prestige, don't we? You know, the disciples often argued about who was greater. Um, we live in a world that measures success based upon what we've accomplished, who we're hanging out with, how much money do you make, what have you achieved. But the kingdom of God is like this. This is what Jesus says. Great humility looks like a small child. I'm going to pick him up. Great humility looks like a small child. Amen? And the second thing that I want to tell you, that, or the, the fourth lesson is, not only do we learn from them genuine humility, but we learn something that comes hand in hand with genuine humility, and that's total dependency. You see what just happened here? I picked my son up. He immediately clings to me, holds on to me. Uh, he doesn't do it without question. He trusts his father. He's in a weird situation. People are looking at him. And immediately the first thing he wanted to do is please pick me up. I picked him up and you could see how he has attached himself to me. And I want you to know that when my son is scared, he clings to me. And sometimes as a father, men, you know, we don't like it. I want my son to be strong. I want my son to be courageous. I don't want him to be easily afraid. I often compare him sometimes to other boys that jump and that run and aren't afraid of anything. And as a dad, I want to push him out into fear. But there also is something valuable that I can learn is that when he is afraid, he clings and holds on to me for a reason. Are you with me? When P3 clings, he recognizes his own inability. He recognizes his own inability to protect himself. What he's really telling me right now, you want to know what he's telling me right now? Dad, I can't move forward or apart from you. I can't move forward or apart from your help, your direction, your resources, your strength. I can't do it. And it's crazy. When we hit a certain age we begin to grow less dependent on our parents. Isn't that crazy? After a while, my son's not going to cling like he's clinging now. Are you guys with me? After a while, in fact, I'm starting to see it now. He's three years old, and now he's wandering a little further off. He's wandering a little further off. He's testing our boundaries. He's testing our limits. I looked at my wife. I said, baby, he's going to go to college soon. She said, no, we got a couple more years. I said, well, then he's got to pay rent. <laughs> you can take him, yeah. He's all, I am a clean. Can, let me say this to you. We, at a certain age, and I'm done here, at a certain age, we stop clinging and we start going out and experiencing independence. And that's part of how we've been designed, right? But can I tell you something? We should never stop being dependent. We should just simply make a dependence exchange. What do I mean by that? The moment we stop clinging to our parents, 
Parents, the moment your children start to learn to move away and be independent, you should begin to teach them to be dependent, not independent. The problem with some adults in here today is you're too independent. You don't need nobody. You don't need nothing to tell you who, how, why, or when. And so when you left your parents, you thought it was the right thing to do to become independent. But God says, no, you need to make a dependency exchange. You exchange your earthly mother and father and the dependency you have on them, and you begin Begin to depend on Christ and the he- your heavenly Father, and you begin to depend on Him in a way that you would depend on your parents. In the way that Philip has clinged to me, we should now begin to cling to God. You need Him. You don't have the power. You don't have the resources. You are still as dependent as you were when you were a baby. The problem is somewhere along the line, you have decided that you're independent. And you begin to walk out on your own and discover that life is painful and it hurts and you need someone or somewhere to lean on. And some of you, you've chose to lean on different things. You chose to become dependent on other things. You've exchanged the dependency for your parents and you've become independent and life has thrown you curveballs and you've been angry and you've been frustrated and you've experienced ups and downs and you become dependent on substances to change and alter your mind. You've been dependent on people to make you, help you get into a different type of mood. But can I tell you that the greatest dependency you can have is on Jesus Christ. Are you with me? When we become adults... We shouldn't, see, we shouldn't see it as losing dependence, but we should view it as simply replacing dependence. Jesus is telling us we're to go on clinging and depending, trusting and needing. But now instead of looking at our mom and dad, we should look at our heavenly father. Well, we're going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just pray for all the adults in this room. I just pray that we just grow in childlike faith and dependency on you. Uh, there's some in here that are carrying anxiety and stress uh, for their careers. They don't know what it's going to look like five years from now. It's hard to go to sleep. They're getting headaches. They're stressed out about bills. They don't know where they're going to live. Uh, they're frustrated on so many different levels. The awe, the wonder, the joy, the imagination, the playfulness. That has just been, even in our marriages, some of it's just been lost. And so right now, Holy Spirit, we pray, do what we can't do. Will you rejuvenate our hearts? Will we, as disciples of Christ, will we, will we listen to his words and say, unless you're like one of these. And may we, may we learn from our children, even if our children are older and adults now, may we still dream and wonder and realize and remember the things they taught us. And will we, as adults, will we grow in childlike faith and total dependency on you. Will we cling to you like P3 cling to me? May I cling to you like my child is cling to me. Come on, will you just say it like my child, as they cling to me, will I depend and cling on you? You develop humility in me. So, Father, I pray a blessing over what you're doing at Inspire. We ask that you would move us forward, move our children forward, move our ministry forward. We ask these things. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen and amen.